stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. The morning of August 26th, 2021 was like most mornings in the town of Wheatley, Ontario. Kids were getting ready for another day of summer. People were heading off to work. It was a fairly normal day until it wasn't. The calm of that summer day in the Lake Erie town was shattered when an explosion rocked a section of the downtown. The cause was believed to be a gas leak from an abandoned well. The gas being leaked was hydrogen sulfide, highly explosive and incredibly toxic. Homes and businesses were evacuated. Some to this day remain evacuated as residents of Wheatley still live in a state of uncertainty, even though it's been over a year since the explosion. Needless to say, locating and capping near 150-year-old wells is not a fast process. It's not an easy one either. And because of this, some people's lives have been derailed in ways they could never have imagined. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we present Rising from the Rubble, the Wheatley Explosion. Here's your host, Haley Chang. One of the lesser known parts of the Wheatley explosion to those outside of the town is that things didn't all happen at once, with no hints or warnings. Residents have been living in a state of unease starting on June 2nd, 2021 at 2.22 p.m. When Whit Teal, owner of the Pogue Pub right at the corner of Erie Street North and Talbot Road East, called 911 when he smelled something very pungent, like rotten eggs coming from the basement. This is Lauren Anderson, chair of the Active Citizens of Wheatley. I was at home with the very first uh, gas leak. And I think initially all of us were kind of like a little bit ignorant. Like we didn't know any better. Like we didn't know what that was or what it meant or what, you know, what the repercussions were. So I think immediately all of us um, just became very uh, like, hyper-educated in what the H2S gas is and and what that could mean. And, you know, we reached out to others in the community that know more about it and their experience and stuff like that. So I think we all just take such a like personal responsibility in keeping our town intact and safe that when that initial um, gas leak happened, uh, I, I, so many people wanted to help in whatever way that they could. This was just the beginning of a nightmare for the town of Wheatley. On July 19th, a second evacuation took place. This is Fire Chief Chris Case. In this circumstance, we not only had the issues of that gas being highly explosive, but as I said, it was very, very toxic. So the first job was to get people away from the gas. And the reason why we get people away is, one, because it could hurt someone by being toxic, but we also get people away in case there's an explosion. So in our job, we... If we can't get rid of the risk, then we we have to move the people. That's the basics of hazardous materials work. And again, we we respond and and everybody gets moved from their homes. And that's incredibly incredibly worrying. It's not just the fact that people are at risk, but then you're mindful that people are not in the homes. People are not in the businesses. People are losing their livelihoods. That's what happened to Doug Walker, the owner of Walker Tetra Mechanical Solutions. His business is located only 50 feet away from the wells and the site of the explosion. You instantaneously have to leave with what you have on your person, period. So families had to leave with their clothes on their back. No mementos, no pictures, no nothing. Get get out now. They would leave. They had an order to, to leave. So, um, you know, and then they, you know, uh, that was, it was disheartening for those people. I, oh, my. You know, my neighbors around me, it's residential. 
They were, they were, they were, they were devastated. After two emergency calls, two emergency evacuations, and an initial investigation, what remained frustrating was that the source of the leak could not be found, and the local frontline responders didn't have the resources to deal with it on their own. The biggest challenge of all was that we we brought back the specialist team in June after two days, and it had just stopped. The gas had completely stopped. So now the the question about where did the gas come from was now compounded with why did the gas stop? It's it's fair enough to say that in our job we we we're very good at showing up, dealing with stuff, and then going back to the hall. We like to show up, fix it, rescue the people, put the fire out, get everything squared away, and then we leave. And the biggest challenge of this incident has been we haven't left yet. We're still there. The challenge was we didn't exactly know what the problem was, and that to this day still leaking gas samples. We were requesting the help, and the real challenge was the fact that we we immediately asked for help. We realised we needed help with this, and unfortunately, and lessons have been learned from this. That the, the setup was that this really wasn't um, wasn't on anyone's. I won't say it was on anyone's radar, but it wasn't it wasn't something that was being dealt with uh, a great deal. Most of the problems with gas wells were occurring out in fields and where these these wells were dug in the 1800s and capped in the 1900s. So to have a issue like this in the middle of a town was was fairly new. On August 26, a final leak began and the fire department immediately got to work. Well, the gas has gone again. Do we let people go back to the homes? And eventually, all this tubing and froing, we got our third gas release on the 26th of August. The crew showed up. They began to evacuate. They got as many people out as they possibly could. And then there was an ignition. And not just from our perspective, but we understand the frustration of the community who, who really just want this nightmare to end. And they just want to know that they're living somewhere that's safe and stable. But also the fact that the community cooperated, the community, you know, we, we, they they even though it was the third time they'd been evacuated in, in, in three months and there was no kickback, there was no... Um, and it would have been understandable if people would have been reluctant. And it was a good thing they did because that evening at 6.13pm, the fateful explosion reduced the Pogue to a pile of rubble while leaving neighbouring buildings with heavy damage as well. 29 people were injured in the blast. Thankfully, and perhaps miraculously, there were no fatalities. I recall the explosion taking place. I re- recall hearing the, the calls over the radio, the Mayday calls. Pressure that he was dealing with a, a hor- horrendous scene. People injured. You know, a, a, his chief officer was, was injured. We've got people on the floor. We were asking for multiple ambulances. And he had the presence of mind to do a roll call, go through everything, and then immediately start to deal with the issue. And I arrived on scene around 12, 15 minutes later and took charge of the scene. I have seen things of that magnitude in the past, but I have to be honest, I never thought that I'd see them in Chatham-Kent. You know, my some of my previous roles presented me with some incidents of that type, and I never dreamed that I would see a that level of uh, of incident uh, here in Chatham-Kent. But what was reassuring that even with that level of incident, the crews and the agencies were able to come together and quickly deal with it to mitigate it and to make sure that people were safe. And uh, I give credit to the firefighters who showed up and, and got people out of the way. And they, you know, they closed the road. They were going around doing the evacuations. And um, I still am eternally grateful that nobody lost their life in that explosion because the potential was real. 
Fortunately for Doug Walker, he was actually away when the explosion took place. However, some were not as lucky. Videos circulated online of the explosion, with scenes of debris flying everywhere and clouds of smoke reaching above what remained of the nearby buildings. Doug's building's exterior camera captured a video as well, but it's one that the public will never see. I had videos that were so grotesque that I, I will never share them, um, ever. You know, I have a I have a video of a young man carrying his infant, and I mean infant baby. I don't know how old the baby was, months. And his he said that he went to leave the apartment in the second story, and it was like a roller coaster ride at the fair. He was at the front of the building, closest to the explosion. The window uh, exploded. Uh, it tremendous damage to his face and jaw and his only concern was trying to get his baby out of the apartment so i have i actually have him coming through the the, the blast zone carrying his baby and his wife comes up and screams and grabs the baby and as he hands the baby off he just falls over and his his, his jaw is like dislocated it was just horrendous Shortly after the explosion, Wheatley's downtown core was filled with every emergency service you could think of to help with the situation. You know, we had municipal staff, engineers, community human services, economic development. We had hundreds of people on the scene that had to be managed. And very, very quickly, they were able to make sure that there wasn't anybody left behind who was injured. All the injured were taken to hospital. The area was evacuated. The evacuation zone was defined with gas monitors. We had to bring in the hazmat team who then have to define where the safe area is. And we had this pile of, we had the rubble pile from the explosion, but we still had this explosive toxic gas coming up through the pile. And then there's questions about, well, what do we do if someone's trapped in the rubble? You know, it's not just dealing with the explosion risk, it's dealing with the fact that the gas is toxic. It really was a very, very complex incident to command. When the rubble was cleared and the emergency crews thinned out, the business owners could eventually start taking account of the damages on their buildings. And then when they opened the town up, you know, from a human point of view, I mean, it was so strange. Though. It was like walking into a war zone because, you know, the weeds were like three, four feet tall. And, and even the wild cats that are downtown didn't recognize people. You know, you could, for the first time, you could walk up to these these, these uh, feral cats and uh, they were like, they would look at you like, what are you guys doing here? Like, they've had the run of the town for, for almost a year. Um, so it was very ominous. I had uh, significant damage outside to my trailers and I had some damage inside as well, but not to the building itself, thank God. And uh, I just had some glass cabinets and stuff that uh, the, the glass was destroyed. But there was more than just physical damage. When something of this magnitude happens, the worrying, the stress, having to uproot your entire family from your home within a moment's notice, it all takes a toll. It's a trauma that many residents live with and will probably continue to live with for the rest of their lives. Having to continuously drive by there, like it's been a year. And yes, they've like decreased the evacuation zone and that, but I mean, it's been a year of everyone that lives in Wheatley having to drive past there, right? And just being continuously reminded that, you know, 
we still don't have the final answers to this and we don't know what the future is going to look like. And, you know, as much as, as much as I think a lot of us feel like this certain uncertainty, we definitely have like this amazing optimism that Wheatley's always had, which is like, we will rebuild whatever we need. We will take care of it. It was devastating for everybody. I mean, whether you were directly affected because you lived close to the explosion or you're just a member of the community. Like we all felt our own kind of, you know, wave of trauma, whatever that was, right. It was, it was scary. It was what's going to happen. It was, is everyone okay? It was the uncertainty and the fear and the helplessness almost of feeling like where, where do we even go from here? Like we don't have any, now we don't have anything. Like you can't get a haircut and we, you know, we, we, you couldn't buy milk. Right. Like there was, there was nothing, like there was nothing. We had one gas station who ultimately was amazing in getting some like non-perishable items in there. So you could get like, you know, bread or milk if you needed to, rather than drive to like a neighboring community. Some families were allowed into the evacuation zone just for an hour to grab some necessities. But this wasn't the case for everyone. Their place was deemed like too close or too whatever or too who even knows what it was, but for a long time, they couldn't even win. Like there was one family. And I mean, I speak to them often and they're always on my mind because I'm a mom too. And like, they have two small children and like, they didn't even have their blankies. Oh yeah. And, and they moved three times Yeah. in that year. Like it's devastating for them. Right. Or like the that lived in their house for over 50 years. And now had to be displaced right like yeah. he had falls in the in the hotel room just because it was an unfamiliar space right like there's so many levels of so many things that have happened to people right like yeah yeah like people even still like the post-traumatic stress right like yeah you know people bring a thunder like hearing thunder and being like oh my god right like there's just this whole different uh emotional traumatic feel for sure but i guess the the real question now is you know when are the insurance companies going to show up there is one in particular insurance company that has been stellar um, in the response and there is one that has been elusive they haven't even shown up to the table they, they haven't even shown shown up to say hey this is this is where you know this is this is how we're going to move forward, or you know, nothing, just nothing, you know. And I'm I'm really talking about my neighbors, and uh, they're they're just, you know, one of my neighbors had the five top courses of his cement blocks moved in almost two inches, and the insurance company is trying to say that that's just natural uh, wear and tear or weather. Or, I don't know. He can't even close his back door and all of his ceiling as a result of that fell into the restaurant. They have not given him any answers with regards to structural engineering. A lot of the business, quite frankly, are just opening up on their own. They're going to have to reinvest out of their own pocket, you know, upwards of a hundred thousand dollars to reinvest in their business because the insurance company, one in particular is doing nothing, absolutely nothing. Wheatley Strong began to trend in the middle of this catastrophe, which many may have seen across digital platforms, 
but only residents would have felt in reality. It was a testament to Wheatley's ability to band together and help each other out, with massive fundraising efforts that helped to ease the town's pain. I initially said, like, I want to start like a GoFundMe page, and that ended up having like an overwhelming response to the point that we actually developed a separate committee um, that was like the Wheatley Community Disaster Relief. And we ended up forming an amazing relationship um, with Chatham-Kent and uh, like Family Social Services and Public Health because we had all this money donated over $200,000. We, we, again, it was just an amazing community outpour and not even just Wheatley, from people from Wheatley. It was people from all over that donated to the GoFundMe. So, you know, we would put it out there like, oh, you know, so-and-so needs a toaster, right? Because these people were out of their homes. Like it's, they needed a nail, nail clippers, right? Like they're like, there's so many above and beyond costs like that weren't covered by anything else, right? So, I mean, if we put out, we need a toaster, there'd be 20 delivered to the resource center. Like it was like the outpour was amazing. Amazing. Doug praised the provincial government for its efforts in providing resources to the citizens who needed it most. But he feels the federal government hasn't been there for Wheatley when it was needed most. Thank God for, like I said, the provincial government, they stepped in, I think within 30 days, if I'm not mistaken. For certain, it was within 30 days, and they they showed up and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can," and and they did. The only uh, ones we haven't heard from are actually the federal government. Um, you know, in other disasters around the country, uh, we, we see uh, the feds, uh, the federal liberal government stepping in and helping them, which is great. I'm glad they did, but for some reason, uh, they are they've come up short. They haven't, they haven't even surfaced uh, in this whole Wheatley incident thing. So uh, a little disappointing there. But, uh, yeah, even though, even though there's a, something like a $6 billion fund for closing wells across the country. But, unfortunately, um, we're not a part of it. Uh, Ontario, even though we're part of the Federation, we're not a part of that particular legislation to try to close wells. Why? I don't know. What the federal government does or doesn't do for Wheatley is out of their control. But for the things that they can, they spare no effort. If I was to give credit, there is two groups that deserve credit more than anybody. The first responders, especially the firefighters who remained on scene. And these were mostly volunteer firefighters. So in addition to uh, firefighting careers, they've got families, they've got homes, they've got hobbies. They've also got the full-time jobs, but they still answer the call and they still come to the scene. And on our community human services team that were able to immediately deploy and start looking after the people who are displaced. These people have been working on the front line of the disaster, not just in August, but since the first gas leak in June. I think it's probably the longest operational incident in Canadian history. I'm trying to find one that's longer than nearly 300 days. And if you add the the previous two gas leaks, it's something like 350 days. You know, it's it's a long, long time, nearly a full year that we were on scene. Um, so throughout it all, the community kept supporting the firefighters. Every time we went to the scene, there was packs of Tim's and there was donuts. Meals were being provided, you know, and every time we, we let somebody into the home, there'd be times where people would visit their homes, which were in a terrible state because of the lockdown. And to be fair, we, we didn't know where the gas was coming from. We didn't know where the gas could go. So we had quite a large evacuation zone. And on every occasion, the public would thank their firefighters. These are people who've lost everything and they're still supporting and thanking their firefighters. And that will always stay with me. My, my 
I think the one thing that really sticks with me about the incident was just how much the community looked after themselves and looked after their firefighters. And again, very, very humbling and testimony to the spirit of the, the community of Wheatley. After everyone's long-running efforts, things are finally starting to look up for Wheatley, though there is still work to be done. Some people are, you know, back in their homes happily and are, are doing well. Um, others are not back in their homes um, and there's like a ton of work. One of the houses has to be like completely, completely vetted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's with the businesses, like the dollar store is open, but as far as Rennie's um, and Little Hills and ice creams goes, which are like other restaurants and an ice cream shop, like they are nowhere, like else has to be gutted too. But across the street, like the dollar store is open, right? So there's, yeah. there's everyone is in a different situation. Like the pharmacy is still in the evacuation zone. Um, yeah, like the Legion's still in the evacuation zone. Subway's still in the evacuation zone. Um, Belinsky's, we're renting um, a space and it's still in the evacuation. Like there's so many that are still within the evacuation zone that are still like at the car barn, like they're still at a standstill. There are still a lot of things that need to be done in Wheatley. Abandoned wells that need to be capped, insurance claims that need to be paid, and businesses that need to open back up. There are questions that still need to be answered, as the investigation is still going on. All of this considered, Wheatley has come a long way since the explosion, and there are a lot of positives to take from the recovery. The way they supported one another and provided for each other really shows what it means to be Wheatley strong. We just ask that everybody remembers us and remembers what we're going through and keep us in your your prayers and um, keep sending all the positive vibes our way because we, we still have quite the way to go um, and, and there's a lot of uncertainty. So um, we'll take all the strength and support that we can get. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.